The Elements contains language and material that may be distressing to some listeners. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. For more information on your local crisis centre, please see our show notes. I'm Stuart Diver and this is After the Storm, a special bonus episode of Season 1 of The Elements. Today I speak with decorated first responders Paul Feathers Featherston and Alan Scoop Playford about their careers as intensive care paramedics, how they dealt with the mental side of attending traumatic events and why the need to take care of each other is greater than ever. Feathers and I share a close bond. He was one of my rescuers during the Threbo landslide and we remain friends to this day. Feathers is one of the most decorated paramedics in Australian history, twice awarded the Ambulance Service's highest award for bravery, and in 2007 he was named on the Queen's Birthday Honours List. Alan Scoop Playford was an emergency paramedic for over 40 years in Newcastle, New South Wales. His remarkable career included attending the Newcastle earthquake, where he saved three people entrapped in the basement of the workers' club. We covered Alan's story in episode four of The Elements, so I'd recommend tuning to that before going any further. While Feathers and I are connected by Threadbow, Alan and Paul are also connected. Feathers trained Scoop when he was learning how to be a paramedic back in the 1970s, and they've been mates ever since. I started off by asking Paul and Alan how they began their careers in New South Wales at a time when the role of intensive care paramedic or ICP, was only just being set up in Australia. Paul Featherston, uh, I live in the Shire down in Sydney. I started off as one of the first um, ICP paramedics in the state. There were 16 of us, so I was selected for the first course. Everyone now is called a paramedic, but ICP is what a real paramedic is. I spent many a year doing that and training guys and getting them to where hopefully they are. And then uh, I went on to the helicopters. So, there, yeah, I spent a lot of good years on the helicopters and with SCAT. I started SCAT, the Special Casualty Access Team, and we were self-sufficient. We could access patients, triage if they were hanging on a rope or bloody out to sea, get them to safety, then treat them, and then arrange with the rescue squads to evacuate them. And that was the goal, and that's what the guys did in exceptional circumstances, you know. So, and that's how I actually got hold of um, uh, Stuart. I got involved with Stuart. I got a call up and they said there'd been a a collapse at Threadbar, a chalet collapse. And um, so I'd been just, you know, chalet had been on top of a mountain somewhere isolated, but it was quite a surprise when I found it in the town. And I got to know Stuart during the rescue and um, what a great man he is and, um, and his family. And um, and that's what life's about, you know. It's not only the person that's in in there, but uh, it's also the people that are around and need a hand, you know. So, and that's what we created, and uh, that's what all the all the teams do in emergency services. So that's how I met Stuart. I suppose we can kick off with uh, Alan John Playford. Um, I've lived all my life um, in Newcastle, New South Wales. I joined the ambulance service where there wasn't a paramedics or intensive care paramedics at the time, and it was only through the intervention of uh, Dr. 
Robert Wright from uh, from Sydney, who had this vision to start a pre-hospital care um, component to the ambulance service that would deliver intensive care to a patient who was in um, uh, in need of our services, and that incorporated um, taking the hospital out of the hospital or the the accident emergency out of the hospital to the patient. And so to my great surprise, I was able to pass the exams over which Feathers was actually the um, the course convener. So I was fortunate enough to pass and uh, became an intensive care paramedic. Um, was assigned initially to Sydney uh, to consolidate my training and then moved on to the hospital settings in Newcastle and uh, completed uh, my training with some of the earlier paramedics in Newcastle. I think there were six uh, before I came along. We desperately needed to increase the numbers. And uh, so in those early years, we took to the streets. Um, and um, politics aside, it was a difficult introduction because the ambulance service was not ready for paramedicine. And um, it took Dr. Wright, Dr. Bob Wright's um, intervention on many occasions to make it happen. I would not have liked to have been in his shoes and he needed people like Paul Featherston um, to ease that through in many, many um, jurisdictions. And so the Special Casualty Access Team was Paul's contribution to pre-hospital care in New South Wales. And from someone who experienced that due to him, um, I saw just what the vision entailed, and that was the saving of many, many lives who otherwise would have died. And um, that's sort of on record. And uh, I think his contribution to the national accreditation of pre-hospital care has not been um, valued enough, in my opinion. So Paul has done uh, many, many things along with Dr. Wright, and uh, we owe them a great, great deal. I agree. 100%. Just think back and listening to you, Alan, it's a real honour to um, yeah, to have you both here. Obviously, I've had a lot more to do with Feathers um, over those years, and I agree that you know, the contribution he's made and, you know, personally, um, you know, some of the tolls that that's taken on him over the years is um, needs to be recognised a hell of a lot more, and, you know, I'm, I'm a prime example of that. Um, you know, of all of that work coming to fruition, uh, there's many, many more um, who are out there, but it's... Um, yeah, we're you know forever indebted to him for that, which is um, yeah, which is a pretty amazing place to be. Yeah, a couple of the areas I just wanted to talk about. Obviously, mental health is a huge um, a huge uh, thing for me in my life, and how I've been able to look after my own mental health and that that of those around me. And I know that everyone comes at it from um, from different angles, but I think you know if I look at first responders, rescuers, those sort of people, you know, I'm in awe of, of you and and what you do. Um, yeah, Alan, what is, what is it that is the the special trait that you think makes a really good first responder? I've always said, um, not from right at the start, but I developed it as I went along, and that's the ability to be able to adapt, adapt, improvise, and overcome. And if you can do that in some measure, then you've got the way ahead as a first responder. Because what I noticed more and more and more is that um, the element of training these days is ignoring the clinical aspect. And so we're getting people that are 
not able to control their own emotions at these large events, um, be a director of traffic, and Paul taught us how to be a director of traffic. And now that sounds superficial and a funny title, but it's exactly that. Um, he knows where he wants those skills directed, and he has the ability to take people around. Like, consider a cardiac arrest. You go to hospital, a cardiac arrest is dealt with by two doctors, four nurses um, in the team. You go out into the field, the cardiac arrest is, is dealt with by one AMBO. I'm lucky if an ICP team turns up with two. Yep. So you've got a lot of work to do in a short amount of time, and you need to have credibility where you can direct traffic to get the yep. most out of saving this person's life. Yeah, that's absolutely. That's Feather's ability, I think. That's what yeah, he imparted to us. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, Feather's, what do you think it takes to be a, um, a, a, a good – well, you can just describe yourself, really. Do you want to do that like Alan just did? <laughs> what it takes to be a great first responder? No, mate, I – the more the older we get, the more we realise how valuable life is, you know. So to me, life is about people, you know. And if you're blessed enough to have, you know, one or two good friends, uh, you're very lucky. If you've got family, you know, you're very lucky. And um, to be able to get over where I see a lot of people losing someone very close is, is something that's people might think they know what it's about, but as you know, we've discussed, you've got to go through it uh, to understand how you feel. And I think everyone is different. Well, I know everyone's different. Ten of my grandkids, none of them have got the same personality, you know, and um, and that's what life is too when you get thrown. My main goal was in pre-hospital care is that people had to respect the sick and injured. If they didn't have that in the early days, there was ways of getting rid of them. These days you can't. But... Yeah. Um, it's that's the goal, but I think to make a good first responder, you don't want to be a macho man and you don't want to be a Rambo Amber. You what you need to do is be caring and focusing what that patient or that person needs. And Isn't that the key? The, the care and compassion in society is absolutely key. We need, you know, that's what drove me forward. You know, that's what you showed me. You know, when I was still, um, you know, buried in the landslide, it was about that individual ability to look after each other. And I just don't think we do it enough as society. At the moment, I think we've become, you know, just individuals um, and we focus on us and material things and and are really not um, not really focusing on the, on the greater good of looking after each other. And I think that, you know, that's absolutely key. And I, and I you know, in, in saying that when, you know, when you first started um, in your, in your career, um, what sort of support services or what sort of training was there in regards to, to mental health feathers? You know, probably start with you. Uh, well, there was very little. It was more, uh, can you drive an F100 around the block? Can you read a street directory? Can you do a three-week first aid course? And uh, can you do a hill start with a box of matches behind the yeah. wheel, you know? And away you went, you know, so... But I was lucky enough to be a bit of a street kid, grew up in Miracle, and I had one of the biggest martial arts clubs, which uh, the whole intention was to keep give kids uh, a goal, you know, give them active, make them proud of themselves, not to go out and snot someone, but yeah. to be able to defend themselves if necessary and walk away was the first objective, you know. Yep. Um, and I learned a lot, believe it or not, by teaching, and I've taught pretty much all the ambos that were scatties, 
uh, up until I retired. And um, even paramedics, you know, and Alan was a great paramedic. Don't let him sell himself short. He's been overseas and done some terrible things like we have and we see what politics and governments do to the people, you know, and that yep. that's a sore, that's another that's another podcast, you know, that we get <laughs> yeah, out absolutely. in the real life. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. You know. yeah, absolutely. And you, I mean, you know, the, if you talk to, you know, a lot of the people that you would have rescued over the years or dealt with, you know, going through that major sort of trauma, it, it is that ability to go forward. And I think that that's what we're missing now. So, you know, you, you know, and I've always said it, you don't have to go through a monumental trauma in your life to, um, to you know, to say, wow, look at me, look at how tough I am. I mean, some people's traumas because of their personalities, et cetera, can be something really small, but it's that, you know, the, the common thread of all of the people that we've spoken to, you know, throughout the podcast is that they've got that ability to draw a line in the sand and go forward. And I think that that's what we're sort of lacking um, at the moment. And that's one of the keys, obviously, to having stable mental health. And, and you don't need to you know, you don't need to have a psychologist on call 24-7. You know, you you and I have discussed that feathers before, you know, but there are times in your life where um, it can be bloody useful to have, um, you know, some good friends around you, some good family or some counselling or some professional uh, mental help as well. Um, obviously, Alan, you've been um, in Rwanda and, and obviously seen some horrific things in your life. How, how do you think it's changed over the years how you know, people's mental health, you know, in regards to PTSD or even not as serious as that um, has sort of changed over the years or, or has it changed or do you think we're still still in the dark ages? Look, I, I hear and see that things have improved. That wasn't always the case. Um, you come home from your holiday and get on with it um, because, uh, you know, the Ross is waiting and... Um, and uh, you've been away and you've had a great old time while we've been back here um, uh, slaving on the uh, the front line. So get with it, Al, and um, the holiday's over. Get back to it, mate. So there was yeah. no consideration of the uh, the mental uh, aspects of the um, deployments and whatever. And you just had to adapt a, um, a tougher mentality yourself to, to get on. And um, so I think that, that has um, evolved. In my own case, there was a wonderful person in Newcastle um, and uh, she was a clinical psychologist. I went to a psychiatrist to start with who had no idea of how to deal with people that have been in severe trauma and what have you. And uh, consequently, I moved on from him to um, Lynn McCormack, is her name, to uh, pay tribute to her. And she stitched me back together. It took two years to put me back together. Um, and I value that, um, you know, so closely I value that, that yep. um, to express it to you, it's hard to do that. Yep. Suffice to say, she invited me to her 70th birthday and I invited her to my 70th birthday and yes. it was a wonderful reunion to see a lady that understood uh, what first responders go through and, and her empathy and her ability to tap into your inner thoughts and and um, get you thinking straight um, was, was something I value greatly. So yep. if um, people that have been through something can get onto a person like that, it is it's probably the most valuable thing in the world, you know? And you, yeah, can, get, you yep. can get your life back together again. When you think, oh, it's going down the toilet, there are those people out there that can um, – empathise, see your problem and 
and work with you through it. Yep, absolutely. I mean, I think that one of the, yeah, we've all been to dark places and, and you know, like a lot of people have, but it is, you know, how, how do you get out of them? And I think that's really the key. And, you know, the, I think you, Alan, talking about it now and talking openly about that, because, I mean, I think that, you know, paramedics, first responders, you know, people in fire brigades, New South Wales Fire Rescue, whatever it is, are seen as these people who are untouchable, invincible, and they just go in, do their job and come out. And everyone, I think, forgets that, they're, you know, they're, they're human. And obviously, I saw a lot of that from, you know, from obviously the landslide in Threadbow, you know, there was a huge amount of rescue personnel involved in that. And, you know, Feathers and I, um, would both know that there's you know a number of them who um who didn't cope with that at all you know you you don't yeah. you don't and then you know had no support afterwards you know and I, I've had the same yeah you know, I was lucky like you Alan I ended up yeah you know, I've got had a very very good psychologist in Darren Wilson um and I was lucky you know to to get him because you quite often see people who go and they say oh yeah I went and saw a, you know a psychiatrist or saw a psychologist and I just didn't relate to them and so I just gave up. And I always say, no, no, that's that's fine. You're not going to be able to find the perfect one first, maybe. Go and try another one and try another one until you get that relationship and you and you find that bond. And it really is a bond. You know, it's a professional bond, but it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's one of empathy. It's one of trust. And if you don't have that, I mean, I did the same thing. I was doing, you know, four-hour sessions for four days in a row, you know, 16 hours worth of sessions just to get through that initial trauma and um, and work out what was going on in my life. And 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 it was bloody hard work. But I always go back and I, and I hope you agree, but it's, you know, the, the biggest one is it's much, much harder to, um, to not deal with it and to stay in those dark places than it is to do that hard work and get through it. And I think, you know, for that short-term pain, it's, it's, it's definitely worth it as you go forward. Can I say one more thing there, Stuart? I think one of the valuable lessons that the feathers imparted to a lot of us was the ability to have what we call sympathetic detachment. You're absolutely sympathetic to to someone's plight, but at the end of it, you had to be able to detach yourself so that you protected your own psyche, you know, and you could yeah. come back and go out to the next cardiac arrest or the next person over the cliff or the next aircraft crash, whatever it might yeah. be. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and Feathers was a proponent of that, whether he realises or not, he taught me that, um, that skill. And that was like a force field around you. It protected us. And if I said to any of my trainees, you know, as a, um, uh, a paramedic trainer um, in the end, was think about sympathetic detachment. Go out to the job, have all the empathy and sympathy in the world for the families and the people who are involved, but at the end, come back to the shed and detach yourself. Be able to detach yourself and go on again. Otherwise, you won't last. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's interesting you say that because I have looked at, you know, and yeah, you know, I'm in awe of you know what you guys have done in your career and all of the those around you that you know do very very similar things. Um, because yeah, you know, I just can't see how you could see that level of trauma day in day out and and be able to function. But yeah, you know, Alan, what you said there, you know, makes makes complete sense. I hope um, I hope that feathers. I hope you didn't detach from me, Feathers. I, I hope it was, you know, you told me it was a meaningful long-term relationship. <laughs> was I the only one? Was that it? I don't know detach from everyone else. <laughs> I don't want to disappoint you, mate. <laughs> no, no yeah. but going on the serious side of that, mate, but again, like I said before, everyone's different, but every job we do is different as well from picking up, you know, Sid's case, you know, sudden infant death with the families around to people trapped in trains and cranes and, 
people who have survived some of those things, but their relatives have been decapitated, stuck there by themselves for an hour. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people in the world that have, you know, to me it was um, I'd get on to the next job because I was hoping that I could do good for people. And that kept you going. I think the key to everyone surviving is a sense of worth. So all the people you're talking about, they go out day in, day out to do the best you can for other people and doing things. But when that door shuts, where do you go to get relief and that for yourself, you know, that sense of worth? Am I now just, you know, feathers retired and yep. you know, useless old bastard, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, or do you try and get things? And I, I got into a bit of disaster relief stuff and where you go out and help the community and different things. Yep. And to me, the appreciation, the you know, I do the help, help the elderly, you know, with yep. they've been through a you know drought, we've been through the fires, then they had a flood, and then they had the mice plague. Yeah. Some of these people who were sick before that happened, it was only within a two year period. You know, one had a double lung transplant. Uh, his wife had cancer, his house got burnt down and he looked out the back and he couldn't get out of the bed he was in, you know, because yep. he thought, where do I start? Yep. And a group of blokes come around and girls and uh, just pitched in and do something. They cried as you walked through the gate. Yeah. yeah you know, it's so isn't it? I guess the message is um, to get out and help. And the Disaster Relief Australia, I was doing it on my own. It used to be called Team Rubicon. Um, yep. uh, do a good job. They're ex-military people who need a sense of worth, their ex-first responders who need a yep. sense of worth, and community people, you know, who have done a lot in their life but want to give more but don't know where to go. And yeah, I absolutely. Think that's the essence. And the next essence is with kids, I believe adversity builds character. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the key, the ability for you and what drove you on, and I think probably a lot of people who are in similar careers, is the, the need to look after people and to care for people in an empathetic way and you've got to continue that all your life. You just can't stop that just because your so-called professional life stopped. T- take my hat off to you to be able to, you know, to, to go out and continue, you know, in your retirement years and, um, and work and do that. But as you say, you know, those little things can mean whether it's drought or you're looking after someone after a fire, whether you can, you know, whether it, how, what a massive thing that means to people in their lives, you know? So it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, I just, for, for feathers for you and I, obviously the the biggest part of my life um, was those uh, eleven hours you spent with me um, under the uh, under the the building in Threadbow, um, and and obviously formed you know I formed an amazing bond with you during that time. I think what really interests people is you know what what are the, the and you must have done it with m- multiple you know many other people in your career. What are the sort of tricks? of the trade that you use to keep someone like me, obviously I was in a pretty precarious situation and, you know, it was touch and go there as to whether I'd live um, for some of that period. Um, what, what are the tricks in the trade? And you and I have spoken about it. It'd be just great to share that, that, that you use to, to try and keep me alive during that time. Um, well, I think it's instinct, Stuart, you know, being around a lot of people in a lot of severe situations, yours was really bad. And, yeah, I take my hat off to you that we're talking today uh, with the loss that you, you had and, and the suffering that you went through as well. But for me, it was very unstable and we have rules and regulations, which, you know, I sort of managed to break a few. 
to get down and be talking to you when there's, you know, earthquake sirens and stuff going on. But it's, um, I think what it was initially, mate, because I didn't know you from, you know, anybody except the voice initially. And it's knowing how you feel. So to be a good lesson, listener and to respect your privacy so you could trust that what you were saying was between us and then if you wanted to, you know, divulge any of that later on, it's um, that's your business. And the other thing that I constantly thought about that I don't know if I've ever told you about was I was very concerned about your folks and loved ones who were not yep. more than 200 metres away. And I had a phone, you know, and it was when I could give you the phone, I didn't want to give it to them like early because I thought you might lose it, you know. I'm, I love them so much I've, I can't go on anymore or I wait till you like that, then I give you the phone and they pull you out. In the meantime, they're suffering because they want to talk to you, you know. So you ask me what happens and I think it's like every job, mate, protracted entrapments are a different ball game. But they do leave, they start filling your backpack up with a bit of uh, load. And um, I think we've all got a backpack, you know, it's all got some stuff in there and we've got to work out how we get rid of it. But um, I just think that, and when you find out what that person's like and your background and you can talk about things and hopefully, and we did talk about the mountain because it was absolutely beautiful, the snow and then yep. the, the sun was out and people were skiing, you know, just across yeah. the road, you know, and you yeah. just go. Pretty what incredible. A comparison. But yeah, absolutely. To but a lot of that was your will as well. And so, again, it comes down to how people are brought up. Do they, you know, chuck the towel in early? And sometimes we might even do that. But because we've done it, we can come back from that and think, yep. well, I'm still going. No, so I'll go till I can't, yep. which is – and people say, oh, how do you do that sort of stuff? And I say, well, no one really knows until your back's against the wall. Yeah, you know absolutely. What I'm Isn't that the key? And that's the bit. I mean, I think we don't, you know, you, you never know. I always, you know, and you know, I've spoken to you about this before, you know, I don't see myself as being anything special, just got put in an unfortunate situation, happened to get out of it through the help of many, many others around me. And and I'd like to look at, I'd like to look at humanity thinking that we could all do that. We're all the same, you know, whether that's realistic or not, but, you know, humans are amazing. We go through amazing things all over the world um, every day in people's lives, uh, not just involving trauma and we get through it. You know, humans are intrinsically unbelievably strong. Um, And I think that, you know, the reason why I just wanted to pick your brains on that is because a couple of the key things that you said there was, it's about, listening what you did that day was you just listened to me and I was still going to those massive emotional lows and bawling my eyes about it, about everything that had you know gone so terribly wrong over the last uh, 60 hours and you know and obviously I had that fear that I was never going to get out and it was a pretty horrific situation but you did what I think is really key in looking after those around you who've been through a trauma or lost someone is you just listened so you didn't try and tell me anything. You just listened and then you gave me a few pointers about, you know, why it's probably a good idea that I survived and kept on coming out, but that was it. And I think that, you know, that's really key. I mean, Alan, do you, you know, the, the similar sort of things, obviously you've been in, you know, similar situations to Feathers. Um, you know, any tricks of the trade that, that you have, you know, to, to get people out of those situations, especially when they, they go on for longer periods of time? You keep them talking, Stuart. You keep them talking yep. and you select a subject that seems um, something near and dear to their heart and you concentrate on it and 
it's amazing how it draws them out, you know. Yep. That um, uh, chap that I was involved in the earthquake with, Norm Duffy, um, uh, once you got him talking, you couldn't shut him up. Yeah. And that, that was great for the people around him, you know. He he um, he uh, was one of the most in- inspirational people I've ever been with in my life, you know. And for this guy, with, with all these people dead and badly injured around him, and he refuses to be taken out before them, um, you know, it, it inspired me for the rest of my life. When I think I'm down, I think of Norm Duffy. I still do. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, incredible. I listened to you, you know, in the podcast and, you know, saying that. And that's, yeah, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? That, it, you know, it goes both ways. You, you have an amazing effect on people's lives, but I can imagine, you know, people that you've rescued and looked after over the years have, um, you know, have had the same coming back. And, you know, I, I love that. And I love that, you know, you're, very similar and it's, it's about talking you know you say it's it's actually mental health 101 because if you look at psychologists whatever it's about getting people to talk and then once they're talking you know obviously then as you know periods go on you can you know give people tools to to uh to deal with things but in that initial phase you know i quite get asked you know what is it that you do and i just say all you've got to do is listen just get people to talk and then listen because at the end of the day that uh, that just helps people. And I think that, you know, I come back, I'm not going to harp on it too much, but the way we communicate with each other these days, you know, via social media or constantly via text or, you know, we're not having those personal conversations and we're not, you know, even today, you know, we're, we're, we're on via Zoom, which is technology, but we can see each other's faces. And, you know, we know that, you know, you can yeah. read stuff into that. I just... How many people do you get to meet in your life, Stuart, that will willingly give up their life to say the others around him, yeah. you know, um, that is a, a true quality of a uh, an absolute brave man, you know. Yeah, and yeah absolutely. That, that's what he displayed for hours on end. It wasn't just a short thing and then collapse in the middle. It just continued yeah. on and on and on. Yeah, it's incredible, did, isn't it? You know, yeah. We yeah, are going and to, okay. we are yeah, going to see, you'll come out and you'll get out. We'll see the sun outside, you know. Yeah. You can do it, you know, and you he pressed them to respond back to him. Yep. Um, and, yeah, pretty uh, incredible. Inspirational. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's interesting because it must have been um, feathers must have looked at that for the for the rule book in um, with me and talking about the skiing yep. outside and the beautiful mountains and trying to take me away from the hellhole we were both in um, and and uh, and get out. Yeah. So it is pretty incredible. And and that's the you know the bit with um, you know looking after people who've been through trauma. I think one of the things that I've really learn is that, it's that ability to listen. And it can be difficult at times, especially, you know, with both of your experience, you know, Alan and Feathers, it's um, it's difficult sometimes not to be just giving people advice all the time and, and telling them how they should probably get through this, <laughs> especially when, you know, you've been through a lot of trauma in your life and you've obviously seen it so many times, you know, there are certain things you should be doing and you will come out of it at the end. But sometimes that's the worst thing you can possibly do for, for people who've been through something in their uh, in their lives. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Just to reflect on, on Newcastle, Alan, you know, it's... I know I've done this in my life, the, the, the day directly after the landslide and then the week after and then the month after were all very different in, in you know, how I felt, how I processed stuff. If, if you look at, you know, the Newcastle earthquake, what was it like in the day after and then the week after and then the month after and, and sort of talking about you personally, um, maybe, you know, not directly your mental health, but, you know, just sort of how you dealt with being in that situation and obviously, you know, not having all of the tools you needed to, to, to get the outcomes you needed, et cetera. What was it like in that little aftermath afterwards? Um, look, I, I think the, the initial reaction was one of, of, uh, one of disbelief, really, that this could actually have taken place and you re-examined your behaviour during that event and think to yourself, well, did you fulfil the obligation that you were entrusted to do there? And if you can come away with a thought to yourself, well, yes, I begrudged losing every life there. I truly worked as hard as I could to get them out. I think I, I personally came out with a feeling as though, okay, I feel good about myself. Um, to return to the service, that wasn't so good. Um, uh, PTSD was just not something considered then. Yep. And um, to, um, uh, to get around the station atmosphere and precinct and what have you, but to get around that immediate aftermath, it was, oh, um, well, nothing really happened, um, you know. Um, how, Move on. How is what you've been through any different to anyone else? So you, you internalised it and kept it to yourself. And I think that was... That was bad as the, um, the succeeding months um, rolled by. Yeah. Um, I internalised with my family and um, I think there was a feeling there of disbelief as well that this could actually have happened in this city with such um, damage, expense um, and the lives lost um, as it unfolded and became more and more apparent. You, you sat back a month later and say, did this really happen? You know, it's mm. a, who is Norm Duffy? Who are these ladies that were trapped with him? Did that really happen? And, um, and so um, more and more as the months rolled by, the service didn't pay too much attention to it um, and you just got on with the job and you had to sort yep. of come to this realisation very quickly with yourself. If you're going to help somebody else, the next um, turn of events, then you've got to get your, your mind straight and get on with it because you're not getting anything from anywhere else. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it all comes down to you as the individual, doesn't it? Yeah, or it did it in those days probably more. And, and even now, it, it still does now. You know, Even with help around you, you know, access to psychologists and stuff like that, it still comes back to the individual. It's your responsibility as to how you deal with that, whether you deal with it, whether you internalise it or, or whether you would go forward, you know, with it. And I think that's pretty crucial as well to note. Yeah, I think so. 
Yeah. Um, feathers after, after Threadbow, um, similar question. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I came out, but you know, there were, uh, you know, 18 others who didn't, um, and, and you were, you were down there through, through all of that. What was it like, um, you know, in the, the days, the weeks, uh, and the months afterwards for you? Um, before I sort of get onto that, I guess we should, like we've always said before, it was the team effort, you know, when we were down there, you know, you were a victim and couldn't do much, but the amount of people and resources and, you know, there was no accommodation, there was, you know, hard to get, you know, dry socks, you know, and there's a, yep. all this sort of logistics because we weren't ready for it. But yep. all those people just stayed by and I, I think I used to say to you, geez, shit, still, you know, it's a bit hard to get to you now. There's there's another thousand people on the mountain, you know, <laughs> digging you out, you know, yep. because it was a bit like that, you know. There was a lot of people around and they all come. So I felt for them as well yep. because I knew that there was just going to be, people particularly close to you, particularly your family and those that didn't make it, et cetera, and so forth. And um, so in that part, I was trying to get make sure that people got looked after. But as we spoke before, it's no matter what trade you're in or what job you do, whether it be a screen strap or whatever, it's what door you knock on to get the right person. Yeah. So if you're going to a doctor, you know, what door do you knock on? You know, so... I believe that a lot of this um, that we have, that we've got to make sure we get the right help. And uh, I'm a bit, like you said, um, there was a lot of people came up to me and wanted to give me mental support, but I looked at them and some of them were younger than my daughter, you know, yep. and I thought, you know, I'm going to be telling you stuff that I know you're not going to understand and so why would I be bothered, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, good- yeah. There are good people, Sue, don't get me wrong, no. but there are a lot of people, and it's just like everything else, that don't have the experience to yep. be able to get into your situation because, as you know, you can say, oh, I want to, now that must have been terrible, but yep. you've got to know what terrible is. You know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Do you find, just on that little side note, you know, obviously Alan and yourself, you've had a, a long relationship over many, many years do you find it easier to talk to each other in regards to that emotional stuff because you know you've both been through it together rather than an isolated third party? You know, I I, I'm, I sort of do the same, you know, if I hadn't found the psychologist, I had the, the first few that I had I really struggled with because the same thing, I couldn't relate to them. I thought, you've got no idea, you know, what I'm going through. Sure, you've got the technical skill probably to help me out here, but yeah. I, 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 that, that trust is not just there. You know, do you find that, you know, especially within paramedics and you know all of your field is it is it easier to talk to each other about it well there's been a history uh yeah there's been a history in the ambulance service in days gone by when we first started alan and i if you couldn't handle it you you left you know what i mean that yep. was the support you got uh yep. you're not you know you haven't got them you know so you have to uh find another job um and then you go to the different levels where we are at the moment. I worry that a lot of it is ticked the box by senior people. There's a lot of senior people in all first responders uh, organisations that are there to manage people, not lead them. Yeah. And leadership is where you you can't not care about your employees. They're your strength of the organisation. They're the ones that go out and meet people in the field and make them better. And if you don't look after them, then 
you know, whether it be the nurses, the doctors, the paramedics, the fireys, and I've seen them all. The volunteers recently, I've, I joined up the brigade up at uh, Elliston, you know, and yep. I couldn't believe the amount of time these poor buggers were standing in front of the smoke with no yep. respiratory support, you yep. know, mate. So I wrote a letter to Fitzsimmons and da-da-da, but they're still working through that now. Yep. But you can imagine what your lungs look like because you go home and have a shower and, you know, it's like you blow your yeah. nose, I have a cough, yeah. and then half the jungle comes out, yeah. you know. Well, you're standing in front of that forever, then leaders, not managers, leaders need to act on that. Yeah, you know? that's good. I'm so, glad you got. I'm glad you're getting a little bit political because you, you, <laughs> when we spoke before, you said you're going to keep it just low key. But that's uh, that's good. You need to get in there and uh, and and make some points because you know you're right. It is. It's it's not management is management, but you know leadership and true leadership. You know like what both of you have shown, you know, obviously in um, your careers is is something very, very different. And, you know, and I believe, you know, not just obviously in, you know, government bodies, but probably more in government and government bodies. Um, yeah, we're definitely lacking that in uh, in society at the moment. <laughs> we've uh, we've got plenty of managers. And uh, Alan, I know you wanted to jump in. <laughs> yeah, don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not, we're not going to get started on that. But the point I was making was that um, if we are going to look after people, we can't do it in a tick-the-box fashion. Like, Stu, I'm going to you know, do your assessment today and have yep. you feel good, and, you know. Yep. But you know and I both know if you really we sat down and had a chocolate soldier we talked about the other day, <laughs> we'd be really telling uh, the real story. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I agree. I mean, the, the world is – the world is we've become box tickers um, and, the, yep. and the paper trail and everything is just um, – yeah, it's incredible. Chocolate soldier, just think for those who don't know what that is, that is a, a – a very Threadbow drink, um, uh, unique to the Schuss Bar in Threadbow um, and actually not done anymore due to um, some people who need to tick boxes and don't allow it. But it, uh, it used to have a shot of vodka, a shot of Cointreau, a shot of Kahlua um, <laughs> poured over yeah. ice in a pint glass uh, and then topped to the top with milk. Um, and, it, you know, it, it, it may not sound that great, but after four or five of those, the world seems like a different place. And, and, and it's interesting because I, I think initially after the landslide, that was definitely part of my um, pre, uh, pre-psychologist was obviously part of my therapy. Um, worked, worked in the short term, didn't work so well the next morning. <laughs> but it's, yeah. um, you know, it's one of those things. Do you think, um, yeah, Alan, I'll, I'll go to you first. Do you think that you, can, you truly ever overcome traumas um, in your life? Um, and just move on and it's done? Or, or, or is that a bit of a myth? Is it is it something that, you know, generally is going to stay with you forever? Look, I think it does stay with you forever. I, I don't want to admit that. Um, I, uh, you know, the image of the uh, being resilient and tough and, and uh, get on with it um, is a facade because deep in your recesses of your mind, it never leaves you. And I'm reminded that by my wife continually. In the most um, private of places in your bed at three o'clock in the morning, and, and she tells me that you need to wake up, Al. You need to wake up. Are you okay? You know? And she, yep. she's um, gently giving me a, um, a reassuring hug in the night. No, suddenly wake up. And I said, no, 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 no. And she said, you are. You're talking about it. Yeah, and I say I, I, I'm not conscious of that, you know. And I, I very slowly go back to sleep, and I know in truth it is in my mind, and I don't yep. want to admit it, you know. But 
what I'm trying to say is that your mind goes through all these doubts. Yes. Know? Yeah. Um, and you say, yes, I have overcome that, but in reality, you haven't. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, thanks for being so open and honest because you know, I, I think that that is the absolute myth. You know, you, you'd never get over those traumas in your life. They're, they're, they are a massive part of your life because, you know, as humans, we're not really programmed to do it. And you can do the most work with a psychologist you want, and that'll give you the tools to get through things, but things will always come back. You know, it's the worst thing to ever say, you know, t- time will just heal. You'll be right. You'll get over it. And, and, and yeah. we know it doesn't. Yeah, as I was told, get over your holiday. You're back in, in, yeah. in the real world now, you know. Yeah, and, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. That offended me worse than anything. Yeah, absolutely, and and it's such a hard it's such a hard one to do. But yeah, you know, I, I try and look at it from my and you know we'll, we all have different experiences and different ways of dealing with things. But I try and look at it as saying, well, yeah, you know, I went through that trauma, and what what did I learn from it? You know, what did I learn about myself? What did I learn about those around me? And then I use that as the the way to drive it forward because they are such negative things in your life. I mean, you can't see those levels of death or those levels of destruction or, or go through that trauma i don't think you know in any circumstance and then just be able to pop out the other end of it it just doesn't work that way yeah. um i think it has made me stronger yes so i think for feathers and i it has made us tougher stronger and more critical um and it just depends where we use that criticism we've got to use it intelligently and try and make it pass on to the better for the next uh, generation um you know paul uh, obviously you would uh you know you would agree on the fact that you never actually uh, overcome you know the big traumas that you go through you know what is it that you do you know and you said before you know you've got the backpack the backpack's full <laughs> and sometimes we fool you you throw try and throw some stuff out of it but you're generally carrying those traumas and what you've been around with you and those experiences um you know, with you for the, for the rest of your life. How, how do you deal with that on a on a daily basis? You know, to to make sure that it's it's not overburdening and just dragging you down. Well, we've spoken about it, mate. I think we know that every part of our life, you've got good days, bad days, and in between days, and you just got to balance those out, knowing tomorrow's another day. But the scars and the baggage that people carry. Uh, when people say to you, well, that happened years ago, what are you still going on about it for, is just someone who doesn't understand. And those sort of people, there's a lot of them in the world. And if you have a structure that doesn't support you totally in respecting your ability and what you've been through and what you've done, not a tick-the-box situation, then you're heading for a bad situation within your industry so if you have someone who's genuine and leads there'll always be conversation there'll always be someone with their hand out one of the great eco challenges i did and i told all the scaddies was one of the new zealand teams four people in the eco challenge sleep deprivation the whole thing great great it was incredible what they did they got up to the podium i had to carry the lady up because she her knees were gone and i said what what made you as a team, you know, just keep on going, you know? What was the one thing? Because one out, they're all out. Yeah. And she said, uh, she just turned around to me and she said, Feathers, that's easy. She said, don't be frightened to ask for a hand and don't be frightened to give one. And I thought, what a simple lesson. And uh, in SCAP, we use that a fair bit. But there's regards to baggies, Stuart, you know, I think we all do have it. Um, first responders, some get it from what, 
you and I might think are minor things. Others seem to be able to handle greater things. And I think the position you're in also is a big determiner for that. If you're a leader of a band of, you know, solid players and high-risk organisation, you have to be seen as someone who can't fall. You know, you're tough, you're, you can make decisions, you're, you know, even in the SCAC course, because we had 50% fail rate, I used to be broken up big time when I had to knock someone off the course because yep. I just knew they earnestly put everything they had into it. But my responsibility was to make sure that if they did a job, one, they could do it properly, but two, most importantly, is they didn't get injured. Yeah. And um, that's what it came down to. So. I guess what I'm saying, mate, is, yeah, where there's baggage on everyone's back and it's different. People who in your organisation, if you're not retired, the people at the top of the chain need to have the real-world empathy, not the salesman empathy where they get something out of you and then see you later, you know. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Businesses that are successful are people who are like that. Yeah, absolutely. Who well, I've shown that to people. The- the leading companies in the world, the CEOs, the number one trait they have is empathy, not the other way around where everyone thinks that you have to be a, a psychopath to um, and have those traits to be able to to be a great leader. It doesn't work that way. And I think that's, you know, you're saying yeah. that that's, that's through life. If we're just going to wrap up, um, but just, you know, one final question, um, obviously in your professional career, um, which is continuing um, more on a volunteer basis rather than a paid basis, but um, w- would you do it all again? Oh, without a doubt. That's probably the most re- rewarding job there is, getting young fellows up to do that job and do it well. To go into someone's home and it looks like, yeah, it's going to be absolute critical situation and that person survives or in a car accident or an industrial accident. That you can't have a better job than what we have and you've got people who are dedicated to do the right thing. Your obligation if you're leading that sort of, tribe for a better word is that you're given the best support you possibly can and yep. uh, that will help a lot of the mental anguish that goes on in life and if you apply that principle we're all different we all have to meet someone that we can get on with and chat to and um, all doctors are different all paramedics all survivors are different as you know yep. and uh, I think it's very important you try and link in find where they're at have a chat and you'll have a great, great um, professional organisation. Yep. You know, life, if I leave it with you, life is about people. Yep. And we've got to get the best we can now for the youth. And I think the youth is a bit of a challenge because they're so electronic value rather than eyeballing. All my grandkids will look you in the eye. They yep. will shake your hand and they'll talk to you. Yep. Whereas and there's a lot so of important. people that can't do that. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Alan, um, would you do it all again? Oh, in a heartbeat. I I absolutely loved my job. It was um, the best um, the best break I ever got in life was to become a paramedic. And the guy that gave that to me was Dr. Robert Wright. And I think um, he doesn't get enough credit for what he created. He saved so many lives yeah. um, through that guy. We were just his. His uh, handmaidens, you know, went out and did what he what he instructed us to do. And if I could just relay one incident where it typifies it for me, yep. it was a um, 
this was about 11 o'clock one night on City Road in Newcastle, where a really flash Mercedes-Benz had run at high speed into a telegraph pole. And it was crushed up to the windscreen, a lot of defamation of the uh, of the vehicle, with the young fellow that had a um, very, very severe head injury trapped inside the, inside the vehicle. And... Um, uh, I got into the vehicle, uh, you know, by the access of the back window, and Paul will know what I'm talking about. And it was obvious that I had to intubate him, so I put a tube down into his lungs to his him because he stopped breathing, and um, and extricate him, got him out. Cut a long story short, um, didn't think too much about it. It was just a normal car wreck, you know, and you get a kid out, and this kid was about 19 years of age. Yeah. And... Um, Ten years late, it was actually nine years later, I get called to the superintendent's office and he said, I've got a uh, funny letter here um, that's obviously addressed to you. And he said, do you remember a car crash on City Road about nine years ago? And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, oh, yes, yeah, I remember the one, blah, blah, blah. He said, yes, you've got this young bloke out and whatever. And I said, yeah, yeah, what, what's the problem? Is there a that's that's how um, Paul and I sort of recognised him. Is there a problem? Yep. <laughs> anyway, yeah. he said, no, no, quite the contrary. He said, this young man is writing a letter to the service to say thank you for saving his life. He's actually woken up to himself, become a better citizen, and I'd like to thank you for enabling him to become a Qantas pilot. <laughs> there you go. He said, and I fly some of the biggest aircraft in in Australia, and that's yep. thanks to that paramedic who saved my life all yep. those years ago. And I've always held that um, story dear to my heart because it was wonderful for someone to say thank you 10 years, nine years, 10 years later. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's amazing. I think that, yeah, I mean, I, I love the fact that both of you say you'll do it all, all again because it was, um, you know, the, the, from my side, it's been an absolute honour um, to speak to both of you today and, and have a little bit of a chat because, you know, if I personally have experienced what it's like to be rescued, to be saved. Um, I'll be forever indebted, you know, to, to everyone uh, involved, um, you know, in my rescue uh, over those days, you know, not just you, Feathers, but especially you just to, because of that emotional contact. And I think the, the one thing that stuck with me through that whole time and something that, you know, you never get enough credit for is it is about the people, you know, it's, it's how you dealt with me, you know, Alan, it's how you dealt with those people in that situation. And I think if, you know, we can take one thing or if I can take one thing out of the conversation we've had today, you know, if you're looking at your mental health and, and how you get through things and how we're going to make a stronger society and so that we can deal with things of the future, we really have to focus on each other. We have to be compassionate, empathetic to each other. And we have to have that ability to say, you know what, it is about time we started caring for those around us and making sure that that's the focus in our lives. We are individuals, but um, it's so much easier to do when you've got people around you. So thank you so much for coming along and having a chat today. It's a pleasure, Stuart. Yeah, it was a pleasure, Stuart, but don't forget, I believe, you know, you had that human spirit and doing what you're doing now just shows that you're a caring human being as well. So Thanks, the effort was probably bloody worth it. <laughs> That's right. Well, I bloody hope so. And and uh, just so you know, from a original conversation, the check's in the mail, but like the last one, it might take a while to arrive. <laughs> no worries, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Alan. Bye. Thank you, Stuart. See you, Paul. See you, mate. Bye.
huge thank you to Paul Feathers Featherston and Alan Scoop Playford for their honesty and openness in this discussion. If you would like to know more about Disaster Relief Australia, the not-for-profit relief organisation Feathers described in this episode, go to disasterreliefoz.org. We thank and pay tribute to all first responders for their tireless work in protecting and keeping our communities safe. If you felt distressed by the topics covered in this episode, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. For more information on your local crisis centre, please see our show notes. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 